Welcome back, everybody, to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is episode two of the Stephen's Footy Insight series that I've been doing. Um, obviously, you know, if you want to go check out the previous episode I did on Stephen's Footy series, episode one, I just dropped that. Like, that, that just came out recently, about two, three days ago. And uh, this is episode two of the same series. So if you guys are enjoying it, please don't feel shy to let me know that and to, you know, leave a rating, a comment, a subscription a review, whatever, any of those words that are complimentary that help me continue to grow and to, you know, get out this great content to everybody that I know and hope would be interested in, in hearing what I have to say. But without any further ado, let's get straight, ado, let's get straight into the footy. And there's so much to discuss, as always, as there is every single week in the Prem. Uh, this league is continuing to fascinate me. Of course, even in just other European leagues as well, there's been really some really, really big results. Lazio drawing 4-4 today, which is incredible i think they were down two nothing for a period of time as well uh the new england revolution my team from the mls they lost i mean that, that now means that the rapids are gone and the sounders are gone the the new england revolution are gone and that's three out of the top four best teams in their respective conferences or basically all around in the in the mls but of course mls stuff i'll put that to one side i will definitely do a series separately speaking exclusively about the mls football but into the Premier League and what's happened today, what has transpired today, in a week, in a time, in a period where we discussed Lionel Messi, the GOAT, Lionel Andres Messi, for the longest time, let's say for literally since 2007, 2008, we've been talking about this guy nonstop, winning his first Ballon d'Or in 2009 and then winning it, of course, recently in 2021, only, only about two or three, four days ago. But let's talk about my GOAT, my official Don, Cristiano Ronaldo. The Portuguese maestro himself coming up big for Manchester United as they win, I would not say comfortably. Normally, I love to use that word whenever I describe results. This was not a comfortable game. Quite the opposite. As Manchester United came back from uh, 1-0 down to win this game, 3-2. Um, this game had a lot of interesting moments. Of course, David De Gea you know, and Fred having a bit of a tangle in the box. Uh, I can't really explain what happened there, to be very honest. But, I mean... Uh, the referee, I can say, clearly wanted Arsenal to win in that moment because Emil Smith was able to uh, capitalize on, you know, Man United's misfortune uh, from the set piece, and they scored the first goal of the match. Um, Arsenal looked pretty good. I had to say, in the opening 15-20 minutes, they looked very, very uh, composed, very concentrated. Arteta's plan clearly got across to the players because they were listening and were very, very um, uh, active. Like you could see, they were following directions and advice and guidance to a T. Uh, United, as always, I mean, since I think all this come in, in my humble opinion, to play football that looks like it's played by a bunch of five-year-olds in the park who are blind, maybe, because, uh, I mean, that's a bit harsh. But I just to say say that to say that they haven't really impressed me at all. And every time I watch them, I'm always like, oh, this is just typical United now, where they just pray for individual moments of brilliance, as they've done again today. But, um, yeah, Ronaldo rescuing uh, United as he scores one from the penalty spot and the one previous, which is a great, great pass from Rashford in a... Typical Ronaldo finish, very simple for him to score, similar to the Bruno goal, actually, uh, from Fred, who had arguably a diabolically excellent game because he played diabolically bad and in certain moments and at the same time played exceptionally well in certain moments. And, you know, he had a really typical Fred game of being terrible and sometimes and then being, you know, the key man that leads up the goal scoring moments for United. So very typical United performance, I must say. Carrick obviously steps down uh, at, at the time of this recording. He's just stepped down. And, of course, Rangnick, who was watching the game, uh, will take his place uh, on Sunday against uh, Crystal Palace as they host Crystal Palace at Old Trafford. But, um, uh, yeah, United, 
uh, hopefully Rainier can change things because they don't have any pattern of play. There's no fluidity really. I mean, they have some certain moments where you can see like individual players combining well with each other, but there's no cohesion in the system. And I think uh, even my favorite Mark Goldbridge, you know, obviously he's a big United guy. If you guys don't know him, look up Mark Goldbridge on YouTube or anything, and you'll see him on Twitter. Big United fan, and he was saying the same thing, which I mean, he's the biggest diehard fan I know of, of a club, really. And that tells you everything you need to know. That obviously he's saying the same thing. But uh, United got away with one today, and today's game was not really much more than a battle of two teams looking to finish in fourth place. Arsenal, who currently do not have any European football and have basically thrown a blanket over their fans and made them deluded and blind to the idea that they're really going to... Um, sorry, they're going to they make them naive and I guess too, um, too ambitious and too deluded in the sense that they think they're really going to go in term, uh, far in terms of, you know, higher up in the table than where they currently are. And I think where they are in the table at the moment is probably where they're going to finish as they're currently sitting in fifth position, which wouldn't surprise me. That's probably where they're going to stay. Um, now, in terms of the overall outlook of this game, what does this mean? I mean, Arteta probably won't get the sack, although people should say, and I also thought this myself, that he should have been sacked a long time ago. But, you know, you win the FA Cup and you win the uh, the Papa John's Cup with my, my boy, uh, ex, uh, my ex-host or co-host, should I say. Julian would definitely say himself. But um, they wish it's a community shield. But, uh, yeah, Arsenal were... Not really convincing, but they were convincing. They also had pitchy, patchy moments, just like United. You can see both of these teams are in transition and trying to improve their squads and their overall depth and just the quality and even the style of football they're trying to play. You can see there's a bit identi they're unidentifiable quantities, both of these teams, and that shows you. Because when you look at Arsenal's results against the other top four teams in England at the moment, or top four right now, you mean Man United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, They've lost all of those games and uh, not really played the greatest. Today was the best example of what they can do against the big side. Um, yeah, that's all I want to add on that. Ronaldo scoring his 800 and 801 goal, 801st. I can't speak English, but 801 goal, one uh, 801st goal for um, for Manu. And uh, yeah, it's really impressive for him, you know, continuing to add to this, his statistics of being, in my opinion, the best and greatest goal scorer of all time and just a clinical clutch machine. Uh, not not much else Ronaldo can really do at 36, playing for, playing for such a poor side, and continues to drag uh, United out of the mud. But enough about United, let's move on to the other teams in the Premier League. Uh, there was a relegation battle, which arguably is is a really bigger, the much bigger headline of this of this uh, this match day 14, which is between Norwich and Newcastle, which finished 1-1. Now, this game was boring, and I can tell you humbly it was boring, and no disrespect to Newcastle and Norwich, but uh, these are not. This is not a fixture that you go to and think to yourself, "Oh, we're in for a thrilling five-five here," or maybe an Arsenal versus Liverpool classic, which often has a lot of goals historically, which I've also mentioned in my previous episodes. If you want to hear me discuss why that happens, but just to say that um, Newcastle versus Norwich, Newcastle coming into this game with a new manager, Eddie Howe's second game and his first game. Uh, in front of the, in the dugout at Newcastle at St. James's Park. Norwich City with their new manager, Dean Smith, who's now unbeaten in three matches since coming in, uh, really making a difference at Norwich. It's clear that you can see that he's bringing in his own philosophy and the North players are already starting to buy into it, which is uh, absolutely excellent because they needed that uh, that reinvigoration, that just a sense of belief. I think don't think Daniel Parker was going to give them because, let's be honest, I think with Parker, they probably would have lost this game, even though they were playing against a team with 10 men. Thanks to Kieran Clark's absolute blunder of a mistake defensively when he let Timu Puku, Timu Puki go one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and he just basically brought him down before he had the chance to shoot and was sent, uh, sent off. And correctly correctly so in my books. Uh, the guy game finished 1-1. One, 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 one. 
Leeds Palace, this game, again, very tricky to kind of really give you an overall synopsis of what happened. Let's just say Rafinha, Leeds' best player, does what he does best. Is, again, another very clutch player, I'd say, for Leeds in his own way, because I don't think Leeds are going to do well this season. They may, because there's other teams in the league that are worse than them, but this game tells you that Leeds are going to continue to be uh, inconsistent and also unpredictable. And also, they need to be predictable, but I think the fans of Leeds would like them to be predictable. If you're a Leeds fan and you're hearing this, I'm sorry to tell you that, but uh, that they aren't going to be predictable because you'd like to see consistent, you know, whether that's consistent performances or consistent results. And we're not seeing either one of those from Leeds at the moment. From Palace's perspective, they actually defended really well. And even Vieira was commenting on that and how they knocked in the game. He was impressed with how well they played defensively and how they, you know, they were uh, resolute and they were sticking to the plan of not conceding and keeping a clean sheet in the, of course, for the 94 or 95 minutes. But Mark Gerhi conceded the penalty. Again, for me, a bit soft because Gerhi, again, the reminds of like the, the, the World Cup 2018, if you know, you know, with um, Croatia and France where Mandzukic, I think, was given a handball against them. And it, to me, it was not a handball because he wasn't even looking at the ball. But anyways... The referee gave the pen. Rafinha steps up, buries it, and it's one nothing for Leeds. And I think this is Leeds' one of their first victories in a long time. And um, it was an impressive result, I have to say, for Leeds because, you know, they kind of just snatched and grabbed this. They didn't really deserve to win the game. And uh, they still won regardless, so that tells you everything you need to know about where Leeds are. <laughs> you know, trying to scrap for victories left, right, and center. But they're, they're doing their best, and I think they're going to grow from this victory for sure. But like I said, we'll see because Leeds are super unpredictable. Next game, uh, Southampton versus Leicester. A game I, I thought might have ended uh, might have ended nine nothing. It ended up finishing two two, and it's not a result I predicted. I actually thought that uh, Leicester would win this game two nothing, and I got that entirely wrong. But goals from Evans and Madison and Bednarek and Jay Adams for Southampton um, made the game finish, and it still made. Uh, you could argue that Leicester probably should have won this game in the last couple of minutes, that they had many chances to kind of get the go ahead goal and kill off the match once and for all, but. Leicester, again, just like Leeds, like I just mentioned, have struggled and have not been able to, uh, I don't know, they, they have not been able to keep themselves on consistent form. And, of course, certain players have been injured. I understand that. And, I mean, that's happening to every team, so I shouldn't apply that logic just, just to them. But uh, they also are looking like they're not going to be able to keep a consistent level of performance week in, week out. And until that happens, we're going to see them draw against teams like Southampton, which they battered 9 nothing. Mind you, at the same stadium, St. Mary's Stadium, I think a year or two ago. So, tells you everything you know. Madison finally come back into form, scoring three in his last three. Uh, Johnny Evans, you know, a leader at Leicester, doing his doing his uh, his job. Jay Adams and Bednarek getting on the score sheet for Southampton and just kind of keeping them ticking. And of course, not losing in this fixture for them is obviously a big thing because they must be scarred from that result that I always love to mention. I'm done mentioning it now, but just to say. It's not a bad result for either side. They get to go with the point and you just move on, you know, trying to get to the goal that, you, that their desired club and, and uh, fan base is looking for. But uh, we move on to Wolves versus Burnley. Very short and sweet. This game was quite dull, quite boring. I mean, it had some decent moments, but it's really Wolves trying to score on a damatory, smashing the crossbar because he couldn't score a goal. Even the goal was, was as big as the stadium is itself. But uh, it, like I said, Adama Traore is just he's an enigma because he has so much strength, so much speed. So he, even technically, he's pretty gifted. But in front of goal, he, yeah, I mean, you you could you, you can almost guarantee he's not going to score unless it's an empty net. And even then, I wouldn't even be certain. And that's not even like me trying to disrespect him. That's on a serious thing. So Wolves continuing to play well, though, and, you know, continue to pick up results and to, uh, you know, prove to themselves and also to the rest of the league that they're not just here for like the... Uh, 
that two or three season stint and they're depending on being here for a consistent amount of time so it's a good result for them for sure especially Burnley who've also been on decent run of form ever since they haven't I mean it's been four or three or four games since they've last dropped uh, since, since they last lost should I say but now getting to the big game not really a big game but big game in terms of its, its history which is Damari Gray versus Mohamed Salah which is also basically Liverpool versus everything. I don't know why I said Demario Gray because he's not been like their uh, he's not been uh, their um, Romelu Lukaku or their I don't know if you know you know Aruna Kone if you know you know he's not been their Stephen Naismith. But just to say, this is Liverpool versus everything, um, and this game finished four one to Liverpool and the Merseyside derby of which they lost. I think they lost or they drew last season. Uh, Van Dijk obviously got injured here at the same stadium uh, last year, and obviously Liverpool have some. Fire in their bellies, not for sure to want to come back and bounce back, which they surely did. They, they really took care and they handled and they babysat. Whatever term you want to use to say they schooled, they taught um, uh, everything a lesson. Let's just say that. A lesson that, that will definitely, not a lesson that they didn't already know because everything had been shocking going into this game. Their form recently has not been great. Let's be honest. Everything have dropped points against Brentford, losing one nothing. dropped points against Man City, which is fine. I mean, City are going to beat you. And so I think, again, like with, with, uh, with um, with Liverpool, but it's just to say that everything have been poor, and ever since Richarlison been in and out of the team, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting injured, and Ducouré coming back only recently in this game, and Yerry Mina, and the list goes on. Luca Dean, I mean, he had a really bad game. He's getting torn apart by Mohamed Salah, but anyways, and Seamus Coleman as well. But just to say, Liverpool looking as always at their scintillating best, especially going forward, looking absolutely except exceptional, like brilliant, like unstoppable, un un. And, and no team is capable of stopping this team at the moment offensively. You can't you can't defend against Liverpool. You just can't. Except that you're going to concede goals and hope that you can outscore them. Kind of throwing back to the old Klopp days when he first got there. But Salah scoring twice. Uh, I mean, Salah continued to prove to us that why he's probably the best player in the Premier League right now. Difficult for me to say that because, you know, people know I'm not the biggest Salah fan. But I call it as I see it. So he's playing really well. Scored really two really good goals. I mean, he was helped by some terrible goalkeeping in my opinion. I don't think Jordan Pickford's ever been a good goalkeeper. I mean, if you're signing a keeper from Sunderland, in my opinion, that tells you everything you need to know if you look at where Sunderland are currently in, in, the, in the leagues of English football. But uh, Jota, who scored a... But I know he's a real time, but this is really like top, top class goal. Like This is something you'd see in like a, uh, a film that's like, you know, dramatized film that shows you the best actions and clips of like a soccer player in their best moment, you know? And this is exactly what Jota did. Jota just... just Basically, he skinned the whole Everton defense with one skill move and then wrapped it at the near post with his left foot. A finish that shouldn't really be going in given the goalkeeper's positioning. It did, but in reality, it should never be going in. But like I said, uh, Liverpool were going to score any other way, if not that way, from Jota. So it didn't, didn't really make a difference to Jota doing what Jota does. Uh, you know, proving why he's one of the best players in the Premier League, in my opinion, this season as well. I think Jota is massively underrated. Um, Things you can do on the field, are, are, they're not spoken about enough. And I feel like those kind of players are actually often the best ones because the hidden gems and hidden talents that people have that go unrecognized often also go unrecognized by the opposition. And that's why Jota was able to do what he does and did do what he's able to do in this game as well. But we move 4-1 for, for Liverpool. Final score, Demario Gray, like I said earlier, you know, hailing him up to be the big uh, everything starlet in the meantime, scoring uh, this consolation goal. I mean, 2-1 at the time, but Liverpool went to, to run out uh, victors easily following uh, the resumption of the, uh, the second half, I believe. Yes. So we move on to Manchester City versus Villa, which is actually, from what I've understood, a very good game. But I was too busy watching my team, which I'll get to very shortly. 
City or Chelsea versus uh, Watford, that is. But uh, City versus Aston Villa was actually a really good game. And I mean, normally whenever these two teams play, City often bop, as we as they say in UK terms. They destroy, they destroy, they destroy, they dismantle, annihilate, obliterate Aston Villa, especially at Villa Park. Not to be this time. The first half was completely dominated by Manchester City, and they had a really dominant performance. And they often do. They dominate, I'd say, 95% of the teams they play against, uh, at least for one half in particular. And then uh, a brilliant goal, I have to say. Like, there, there has been some really spectacular goals that were scored in this match day, one of which was Bernardo Silva. Even Ruben Diaz's goal was decent. I mean, deflection, but it's still a nice goal. Bernardo Silva scoring arguably one of the most difficult finishes I've seen in a long time. Now, you can see the techs of this guy. Like, this guy's techie, like a real techie, like an elite tech, tech man. He deals with computers and IT stuff. That's how techie this guy is. Uh, brilliant finish from a good chip ball from uh, Gabriel Jesus, and it made it one nothing to City. And then, like I said, oh, two nothing. Sorry, but after a goal that was scored by centre back and leader of leader of men, Ruben Diaz. And then uh, in the second half, Ollie Watkins was able to get to have the deficit, but it wasn't to be as Villa kept doing throwing bodies at City and doing numbers forward, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Villa look a lot more resolute and defensively sound than it. I think they have in a long time. I think it says Dean Smith to Villa. It does not finish two one. It finishes by a much bigger margin in Manchester City's favour. But uh, Villa played, played played pretty well and they performed at a, a relatively high rate. I think Gerard already, in, even in these first two three games, has already shown his uh, his blueprint, his stamp on the team has been has been clear, has been made uh, apparent to everyone watching. So it's a good sign. If you're a Villa fan, this is a great time to be a Villa fan because I think things are on the up for Villa, 100%. If this city loss, this shouldn't mean anything. This, you look at this in your calendar, you think to yourself, yeah, this is probably a game we're going to lose. But if you can nick a point from this, which they nearly did, uh, it would be a good result. Moving on to Chelsea versus Watford. Oh, my club, man. My club are in the mud. This is arguably the worst game I've seen Chelsea play underneath Thomas Tuchel by far. I wouldn't say arguably, bro. Forget the arguably. It is the worst game I've seen Chelsea play underneath Thomas Tuchel. It was a horrendous performance. But, I mean, we still won, so I can't complain. A win is a win. And you take them three points anytime you can, especially being top of the league. And, like I said, the chasing pack right behind us, as they still are. Uh, and a big game coming up on the weekend, so you have to you have to recognize uh, and realize the situation. And uh, Chelsea, who went uh, actually went up ahead after um, uh, the res- the resumption of the game after a fan in the, in, who I've now c- can confirm is doing much better after suffering a heart attack and has recovered and has been stabilized, but he's doing much better now. But uh, to move back to the game again after this had happened and the fan, the fan was okay and was able to be taken to the hospital. Mason Mount was able to score for Chelsea after some really good built-up play from a great touch from Alonso and then a, a very slick pass from Kai Havertz, who's, again, I think slowly starting to show us what he's made of. I think a lot of Chelsea's players that are, you know, kind of hidden and and just basically anonymous on the field, pedestrians, passengers, spectators on the pitch, are starting to show their worth. And uh, Havertz and Ziyech, who I'll get to in a second, who absolutely changed the game from, you know, from, from his head to its toe. Um... Uh, yeah, also changed the game. But uh, as I was speaking about Havertz, Havertz gave the ball to Mount, who was able to you know do what Mount does. Mount also looked really good again today. I was happy to see that he's coming back into form. Um, and it was one nothing for Chelsea. Only for 14 minutes, 15 minutes later, Emmanuel Dennis was able to score um, at Watford's most threatening player on the day. Watford actually looked pretty decent. I mean, Ranieri clearly had a plan and knew how to stop Chelsea from doing what they're so good at doing, which I couldn't tell you what that is at the moment because with all of our injuries, it's very difficult to say what exactly is um, what exactly is Chelsea's strongest, uh, you know, 
a threatening position on the field. Uh, that will come with time, I think, and I think Tuchel's getting that now and not more and more and more. I think we're seeing it in the last two, three, four, five games, but we need more consistency, mind you. Obviously, with the amount of changes and the fact that we have a midweek game and we have the most games out of all teams in England, or even I think in Europe, that is, or maybe definitely in England, where we play the most fixtures in December. So it's to be expected we have a lot of rotation and Saul Niguez dropping a 1.5, arguably a 0 out of 10 performance, even though I absolutely adore Saul, or at least I did at Atletico, but at Chelsea, he's... Look like Bakayoko when he was here, man. Again, if you know, you know. Bakayoko was uh, uh, just an absolute... Uh, let's just say Bakayoko didn't fulfill his potential. I didn't realize his potential. But uh, second half, Chelsea came out, looked a little bit better, a little bit more uh, dominant, a little bit more assertive. But uh, the possession time to tell you everything you need to know was 51-49, to 49, which basically tells you it was 50-50. And, of course, Chelsea must have had more towards the end of the game when the, we're trying to hold on to the ball. But... Um, Watford were definitely posing a threat throughout the 90 minutes. That was clear, and Chelsea needs to be aware of that. And uh, without Tuchel's brilliance and his smart substitutions, it would have been very hard for us to, or for me to see how we would come back into this game and score a second goal. Because normally, whenever Chelsea um, are deadlocked in a game, or even when we go behind, it's something I really don't like about our team. But whenever we go behind, we're very, very incapable of, of uh, overturning the deficit and winning. So. This is a good sign to see that at 1-1 we were able to score a decisive goal from Hakim Ziyech, the wizard, who's played brilliantly since recovering fully from his shoulder injury. It's clear against the game against Malmo, against Juventus, against Leicester, uh, against um, even against Manchester United, he was really good. And uh, you can see that he's really starting to show the Ziyech that I remember and I appreciated so, so much when he was playing for Ajax. So came on after a good link-up play again between the Lonzo Mount and a good assist from Mount to Ziyech and 2-1 for Chelsea. So... We, we move, we move, you know, move on to, to our, our opponents and in their game, our weekend opponents in their game, which was West Ham versus Brighton. Um, Neil Mope scoring, um, how do I describe this? I don't want to say Wayne Rooney, more like a Mario Mandzukic without the chest control type of goal that Mandzukic scored in the final against uh, Real Madrid, I think three or four or five years ago. I don't even remember what year that was. I've seen too many goals at this time. I'm so sorry if I forget. But again, if you remember seeing that final, you definitely recall how well he settled the ball on his chest when he was able to, uh, to kind of overhead kick it, I guess, or volley it behind his uh, his head into the top corner. And Mope, in the decisive minutes, he loves to do this. Mope, honestly, Mope is that guy. I know, you know, you hear that new trend, you're not that guy. You are not that guy. Mope is that guy. Missing sitters, absolute sitters. Like, when I mean sitters, I mean things you know you could score with your eyes closed. Generally, with your eyes closed, you would bury them. He missed sitters against, uh, who did Brighton play? In their last game, but whoever it was, Brighton were in. Were they had no chance? They look look like they were never going to be able to score against Leeds. That's what it was. Leeds never. And Leeds are what easily the most open team in the Premier. Like they're basically an open letter, an open hallway, whatever thing, whatever's open, man. I can't give you any more analogy right now. My my uh, my mind is so focused on giving you better analysis on the game. But just to say, Thomas Uchek, of course, you know the, the Fellaini of the Premier League now that Fellaini's gone. Uh, scoring for West Ham, making it one nothing in the fifth minute, just before. I mean, uh, not really an onslaught, but definitely a Brighton possession and Brighton build up and Brighton uh, control in the game, but definitely shared control going back and forth throughout the ninety minutes. And then just before the ninetieth minute, Neil Mope, as I just mentioned, scoring a, a a kind of overhead bicycle in a way. It's a really good finish though because of how he had to kind of contort himself in the way that you know he had to like bend his. It's just difficult because he's not even facing the goal and he has to turn his body in a certain angle in order to receive the ball. 
on his right foot to score into the top corner. And of course, when it when he when he made contact with the ball, you could think to yourself he's going to score this as he did. And of course, it's in the, in the late late minutes of the game and was able to rescue Brighton the point. So good result for Brighton. Uh, I know West Ham will be devastated that they dropped points in the, in the so so late in the game when they were obviously hoping for a win. But um, yeah, you know that was a good match and uh, Brighton continued to uh, pick up momentum. Although or I should say after going through a tough period earlier this year. Um, and the final game, which is Tottenham versus Brentford. Uh, basically a London derby of some sorts, you know, uh, West London versus uh, North London. Spurs versus Brentford finished 2-0 thanks to uh, Sergi Canos on goal and uh, Sun Hin Min scoring. And in the 65th minute and the 12th minute, respectively, the Sun goal 65th minute and the own goal in the 12th minute. Uh, Brentford looked jaded they looked disinterested and that's not something you often attribute to Brentford they're normally a very hard-working and uh, you know athletic and very very persistent team but today Tottenham definitely showed what they're made of and Conte was able to get uh, the best out of the players I think I've seen so far in the Tottenham uh, since he's come to Tottenham and they've clearly done you know not a Spursy thing and they're able to finally pick up some I mean they did beat uh, Leeds but it wasn't convincing but this would I say a convincing victory so it's a fair play to Tottenham and then finally picking up a convincing result that will definitely inspire some hope into the fan base, which has definitely been uh, ravaged with mixed opinions. So we'll see how they progress. Um, now, moving into the predictions uh, quickly, I'll do this West Ham versus Chelsea. Um, actually, yes. Yeah, West Ham versus Chelsea. Chelsea, are, I think, will probably win this game. I want to say 3-2 or like a 2-1. I'll go 2-1 Chelsea. I'll do this very quickly. And then I repost it on my story, as you guys always know, on my Instagram. So you'll see it there. Newcastle versus Burnley. I'm going to go for a... Man, I'm doing this on the spot. I should have thought about this before. Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw in that game. Liverpool versus Wolves. I'm going to go for a... Let's go for a 3-1 Liverpool win. Um... Southampton versus Brighton, the South of England derby, basically. The two South Southern teams. I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw in that game. Watford versus Man City. This is going to be like, could be 6, could be 7, could be 8, nothing. It really could be. But I'm going to go for like a comfortable 4-1 win for Manchester City. Um, Leeds versus Brentford. This is going to be a really good game. And I'm actually going to go for a Brentford win here. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Brentford win. Man United versus Crystal Palace. Mm, this is very tricky to call. I know it's Rangnick's first game, but I still think that Palace will, uh, you know, will in, but they'll, they'll definitely they'll, they'll flex their muscle. They're not going to roll over and play dead. They're definitely going to fight, and they're definitely going to look to bounce back from their two terrible results that they've also had previously. I don't know if I mentioned Palace's game, actually. I feel like I missed that, didn't I? Did I miss the Palace result? Oh, no, I mentioned the regular elite. So, perfect. But, yeah, I do think Palace would definitely give United a game, and I think there's going to be a tough match. I don't think United are just going to be able to steamroll them, with, even though they have the manager bounce and everything. But I think uh, this game will probably end up finishing. Let's go. I'm going to give United the benefit of the doubt. I'll say 2 nothing Manchester United, but it could be much different than that. So, remember I said that. Tottenham versus Norwich. I think Tottenham are in a good run of form, so I think they'll keep up that form. I think they'll win this game. This will be Norwich's first loss. And underneath Dean Smith, I'm going to go for a... Uh, let's go for a one nothing Tottenham win. Aston Villa versus Leicester. I'm gonna say that this game is gonna finish. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna back the home side. I think Villa will actually win this game. I'm gonna go for a uh, a, a two one Aston Villa win and Everton versus Arsenal. Though this is gonna be a really good game because Arsenal will. 
again, I don't mean to slander the Arsenal fans, but let's be honest here. Everton might actually be at your level at the moment, and therefore this fixture might actually be one where you get to test and to see how, how well you have or have not been playing. Uh, maybe the games against the previously, you know, the teams that finished in the bottom 10 or are currently in the bottom 10, you know, when you were on that good run, uh, those games against those teams were just was just a fluke and was just a run of, uh, of form against bad sides. And Everton, I think, were kind of in between that top 10 and bottom 10 space, if that makes any sense. So I think this game will be a good tester, especially because Everton, if they lose this game, will definitely be looking to sack their manager. And if not, they're going to look to come back and bounce back from their horrific form that they've been on after being winless, I believe, in the last five or four. So I'm going to go for a thing away from home to Arsenal. I'm going to back. I'm going to go for a 2 nothing Arsenal win. And uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, I will be back to review my predictions and to give you my thoughts on match day 15 and where we go from there. As always, please like uh, and review, share, comment, suggest it, and everything. I will be active across all platforms as always. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And uh, I'll be back very, very, very soon. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.